You are listening to The Real Men Feel Show with Andy Grant. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having, but you don't need to be a man to join us. The Real Men Feel Show is produced weekly for your growth and enjoyment. Listen to us on podcast platforms including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and many more. You can also watch the show on YouTube by visiting realmenfeel.org slash YouTube. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or subscribe on iTunes by visiting realmenfeel.org slash iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at realmenfeel.org and at facebook.com slash realmenfeelshow. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Your reviews, comments, feedback, and participation are welcome during the live show and anytime in our Facebook group, on Twitter, or at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get into this week's show. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. And if you've been listening to this show for a while, recent episodes, I've been going through some shit, man. Uh, <laughs> I've uh, been challenged with, with lots of fears and doubts and what am I doing and... Um, you know, I do a lot of spiritual growth work. I'm now a certified healer. I work with a modern mystery school. It's about authentic self. It's about purpose. It's about meaning. It's about service. And that's what I'm excited about today's guest. Um, Dove Barron is a leadership consultant, a best-selling author of many books. He's an expert in leadership. He's a top 100 speaker ranked by Inc. Magazine. He's a television host, podcast host, radio host, serving people around the world. And he talks about authentic self purpose, but in relation to business, which like blows my mind. I'm used to individuals coming. I'm used to people coming to me that, that hate their job, think they're in the wrong business and they're looking for their purpose and meaning. And uh, you, you know, you're in there dealing with corporations and helping corporations find purpose. And that, that really amazes me. So, so welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm honored to be available to you. I mean, this is exciting for me uh, because you know, I think that so often we forget that business at its base is, is about human beings and human beings are about relationships. And the primary relationship is guess with who yourself. Right. So if you don't have a relationship with yourself, you don't have a relationship with the people you work with. And really your business is a, is a drifting entity that is not focused on anything apart from making money. And that will make you miserable eventually, by the way. Yeah, I, I agree. I see that over and over. And when I was growing up and I heard, you know, you can go into business and business to me just meant selling stuff and like, well, where's the purpose? Where's the meaning in that? So when, when you either create or consult or help someone create a, a business with purpose, you know, what, what are some of the benefits? How do you know a business has purpose as opposed to just wants to make money? Uh, on the surface of it, you don't. I mean, obviously, you have to inquire. So um, the, the challenge with it is that many people think that they have a purpose business. They don't. They have a mission statement with a lick of paint. You know, it's not really got the depth of purpose. So to, just to put it clear, purpose is what is the emotional primary driver of those individuals in that organization and the impact they want to have beyond profit. That's what it comes down to. So why are we here? What would be missing from this planet if we were not here outside of our goods or service? And people go, I don't know. Good. That's the right answer. That means you've got to think about it. Yeah. 
Cool. And, and are more and more companies coming to you and, and seeking this level of, of depth beyond an obvious mission statement? Um, it, it's certainly a very growing thing, but what's most interesting about it is the research into purpose-driven organizations has been going on for a long time. We're now seeing that uh, the average company over a period of about 10 years will go through, on average, about, 100, about 120% growth. Whereas a purpose-driven company will go over about 1,200% growth in its stock value. Mm. So we know there's a, the purpose impacts bottom line. It impacts loyalty. It impacts the people staying with you. It impacts the people who not only stay with you, but good people coming in. So all these things are very important at a very simple business line. Is, is it easier for a small business to, to discover its purpose and meaning? Um, can, can, it, can a company grow to be so many people that it's kind of impossible to nail this down? It's a great question. So the answer is it's never impossible, but leadership starts at the top. So I don't care if you've got a company of four people, you've got a company of 400,000 people. If the leaders at the top are not purpose-driven, I don't give a shit what you're saying. You just, it's just nonsense you're putting out there in the world, and nobody really cares. So you, know, you can dress it up with bows, and, but it really is just lipstick on a pig. What you really need is to actually know what is the primary driver of those executives, of those people at the core, the founders, whether it's a small company or a big company, doesn't matter. What matters is the commitment to do that work. So I've had companies, small companies with 10 people, and the person is just not willing to do the work. So guess what? We're not going to find your purpose. What you really want is a mission statement with a lick of paint that you can call a purpose. And I had that happen recently, and they came away, and not, I'm, you're not willing to dive in. Okay. Uh, we got invited to their opening. There was a big opening. We got invited to it. We went to it, and they talked about their purpose, which they hadn't gotten from us. And I could see right away it wasn't a purpose. It was a mission statement. So they didn't get it. Another company I'm working with just raised $100 million. They're you know, a very decent-sized company, expanding internationally as we speak. Uh, we sat down with six executives, nailed it in two days, and just like everybody is on fire with purpose. So it's not about size. It's about commitment to do the work, to dig in. And most people don't have that. Why? Because leadership takes balls. It takes gonads. It takes courage. Whether you're male or female is irrelevant. What's relevant is do you have the courage to look into the dark place? Because actually that's where your purpose is. It's, mm. not, in the, it's not in the shiny, bright, woo, everybody thinks yeah. we're wonderful. Cool. So I love – and, and – I get this, I've experienced it myself, I see it with people I work with, but it's always been the individual. So again, it's, this is amazing me that, that corporations and organizations of any type are, are evolving to the point of looking at their own darkness, the, the shadow, what are they hiding from as, as individuals in kind of the collective. Right. So you, so you speak around the world about leadership and you know, I'd love to like really get get back to basics and get simple and, and not have not have assumptions running the show. So, so sure. how would how would you define leadership? Uh, I, I define leadership in a very odd way in that it is first and foremost relationship. And because it's relationship, it is impact. So that's what leadership is. The, when you boil it all down, it's what is my relationship to the people that I lead? What is their relationship to me? Not one way. So what's my relationship to, to the people I lead? What's their relationship to me? And what is the impact I'm having on those people and we are having on the world? That's leadership. 
Now we can go into the strategies, we can go into the, into the techniques, we can go into all the nuts and bolts, and we can certainly go deeper on those things, on impact and relationships. But when you just boil it down, if, you're, if you can't do relationship, if you don't know how to actually show up in a freaking relationship, you cannot lead, truly lead. And if you don't do that depth of work, then guess what? You actually don't know your impact because you think impact is that you give somebody a paycheck or that you gave somebody a raise. That's not impact. Sometimes an impact is this. How are you? It's a simple moment. And for that reason, some of the greatest leaders in your organization are actually your front people. The people who are the front of the line people, the people who sit at the reception desk, who genuinely are excited to welcome people into the company, or pick up the phone and, hey, thanks for calling Spingle Spongle and Co., right? Those are leaders because they're relationship-driven. And as a leader, you must be relationship-driven. And that is a completely new world from where it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up with the misunderstanding that uh, management leadership meant telling people what to do. And mm -hmm. I certainly worked in organizations where it seemed like that was, you know, the biggest well, it was true. Was You're absolutely yeah. right. That, that is what was true. But here's the thing I want everybody to grasp, right? Every one of us, including Elon Musk, knows about AI. Right? Elon Musk said it is the greatest existential threat of our time. Hmm. So we know, you know, Donald Trump can talk about bringing jobs and manufacturing back to America. Who gives a crap? It's nonsense. Not because I, I think Trump is an idiot or not an idiot. That's a, that's a whole different discussion. My point here is very simple, is that jobs are being replaced by artificial intelligence. Now, we can, we can get our knickers in and not about that. But, you know, we got our knickers in the knot about the production line 100 years ago. And guess what? People still got jobs. There's new jobs. It's always evolving. But here's the thing. As AI takes over more and more and more jobs, your intelligence won't matter. What will matter is your ability to connect, your emotional intelligence, your relational intelligence. That's what you've got to do. That's why I've just developed this, this whole video series called new leadership skills you can find it on youtube you can find it on my website new leadership skills because there's so many new leadership skills because the old ones are disappearing so that's why this is so vital who are you finding most resistant if anyone is to this going deep to evolving corporations in leadership this way oh that's easy uh, that's an easy, easy question. Um, Richard Feynman, who you may or may not know, who was one of the greatest quantum physicists of, of all time, um, said, sometimes for things to change, you just have to wait for the old guys to die. <laughs> um, and, and that's not a, a slant on old people. It's a slant on the fact that psychologically, and this is about human beings, all human beings resist change. All. Yet we all know change is inevitable, but we all resist change. The problem is that the more embedded, the more ingrained we get into doing something a certain way, the more we're going to resist the change. The older we get, the more embedded we get. It's as simple as that. Right. So invariably, not always, but invariably, it is older people who've, who've that when I go in, I'm brought in by somebody to come and work with a company, and a founder who might be, say, 70, will say, why do we need this? I don't understand. What we do works. It's worked for 40 years. And the answer is, you're absolutely right. I respect that. It has worked for 40 years, but it won't work for 40 years.
what you're doing is now actually going on the other side of that 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 pinnacle you're now actually spiraling down and you don't know it because you're still in profit and i'm the and i am the profit not that profit but the other profit to tell you this is where it's going and if you care about the next generation of this organization whether that's a family business or not you have to shift into this and do we face that resistance all the time sometimes it's not blatant up front sometimes it's when we get really into it but that's usually where the resistance is fascinating you know it and and like it, it, it makes sense. I get that the, the older, the more embedded you're, you're, you're focused on what you, you have, but, but really the, the, the one constant perhaps in life is change. Of course it is. So I would also think like if the, the older you get, the more change you see and you see that you've navigated it or you've navigated it better when you didn't resist it. You know, when, when we can, we don't have to like change to, to accept it. But you know, I find well, if, you, if we, if we deny it, we, it'll, it'll steamroll us. Yeah, you're absolutely right. If we deny it, it'll steamroll us, but it doesn't change the fact that, so let's take age out of this for a moment. Here's just the psychology of it. The ego mind's job is to help you survive. That's it. So people talk about ego and they don't really understand ego because they think ego is being a blackguard. That's not ego. People who have, um, who have uh, inferiority complex have a very large ego. Ego is about keeping things the same even if it's shit. So you see, if it's shit, you know how to deal with it because it's always been shit. So you've got coping mechanisms for shit. Now you may sit at home and pray and chant and meditate and uh, contemplate your own navel holding a, a purple crystal saying that you want it to change. But if you know how to handle the crap, that's actually what you'll, you'll actually purvey that. You'll bring more of it to you because you know how to deal with it. You know how to be a victim and survive. For somebody to come along and give you something different is a great challenge. If you don't believe me, let me give you the greatest example of all. 90, 93 to 94% of all lottery winners end up more broke than they were before they started. Now, ask every lottery winner before they won, will this make your life better? The answer is yes. Will you change? Absolutely no. Wrong answer. <laughs> Wrong answer. Yeah. You should change. You should evolve because that's what you should be doing anyway. And so they go, oh, and then their friends say, oh, you've changed. And they go, oh, well, let me get rid of the money so you can see me as the same. Because I need to belong. Number one, human beings need to belong. We are tribal. We want to belong. And we want to belong in a way that doesn't threaten the tribe. Therefore us. So guess what? We keep doing the same nonsense. So it's not, it's not about age, but it becomes more embedded in age because by that certain point, we've usually created our own tribe. And that tribe is based on the bullshit the stories that we've told. Right, right. If we have a tribe of yes men or yes women telling us, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you, you, you get it all going. It's all good. You're yeah. the best thing since sliced bread. You're an idiot, but you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But we're, we're too afraid to say that. We don't want that much change. <laughs> well, see, this is the thing, right? It's one of the things that, you know, I'm a, I'm a student of politics, of psychology, and of history. And so I look at the, these things together. And when I look at, I've, there's no such thing as a perfect president by a long stroke. But when I look at someone like Abraham Lincoln, who surrounded himself with leaders who disagreed with him, that's what made him a great leader, is he didn't create a sycophantic cabinet. He's created a cabinet of people who would argue with him, would make him wrong, and would make him look at things. So he had to think about things at a different level. Most of us don't have the courage for that. And so I said before, 
Leadership is relationship, okay? It is relationship, it is impact. But in order to have the impact, you have to have courage. And that's why that is so important, courage. The courage to actually question yourself, the courage to question your own beliefs, the courage to question the way you do things and if you're waiting for things to go wrong before you change, you're already behind the, you're way behind the ball. Right. If you've right. got to get, you've actually got to be your own disruptor. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. So, so the uh, kind of the sense of of personal growth and looking for meaning, and you know that that applies to corporations, and 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 it seems like a, a leader willing to to look at themselves and ask, what's the point? Where's this meaning coming into my life? bringing that into an organization makes that a stronger, healthier organization. Without doubt. So in my book, Fiercely Loyal, one of the things I talked about was, you know, I talked about leading millennials and why leading millennials is different and, and why I love millennials. And one of the things about millennials, as you know, is they're meaning driven, right? They want to know what is the meaning of something. They want to live meaningful lives. Therefore, they want to be led by meaning-driven leaders, purpose-driven leaders. That's why our work is around purpose-driven leaders in a purpose-driven organization, creating a purpose-driven culture. Meaning is vital. But if you don't do self-discovery, you don't know your meaning. If you don't have the courage to look at yourself, you'll never know the meaning. You can make shit up. People do all the time. But that's not the same as meaning. So it takes enormous amounts of courage to do that. Now, here's the clue. If you really want to create loyalty, you not only have to search for meaning and you have to have the courage to do that, but you also have to have the courage to be open about that because one of the greatest bonding skills there is, is vulnerability, reciprocal vulnerability. And as leaders, and this is where it gets sort of clunky for, for a lot of leaders who are older, not because they're older, but because their training was, as a leader, you should know all the answers, as you were saying earlier, you should know the answers, you should tell people what to do, and you should never let them see the chink in your armor. Yeah. Well, that actually doesn't work anymore. So what you've actually got to do is show up and go, listen, you know what? I have no clue. Here. I don't know what I'm doing. I have no clue. Can you mentor me? Yeah, you're 23 years old and I'm 73 years old or whatever it is, but I need to learn from you. That creates a bonding. Just that simple act of vulnerability of saying, I don't know, is very, very powerful. Yeah, that, that really is. And huh, it's so true and so contrary. And, and I wonder, is this one of the biggest challenges you have going into a, into a company to have someone you know, realize that admitting they don't know what's going on and, and not just to a consultant per se, but to, to their staff, to, to the front line, to the secretary, to the, to the customer even, like the, that not being so cocksure of yourself is actually can be the avenue to, to improving everything. Well, that's the work that we do. And, and so, yeah, there's naturally a resistance to it. But when we do that work, we have, a, of course, a set of strategies for, for actually uh, doing that incrementally. So we're not throwing people off the cliff because <laughs> uh, that would freak them out. Yeah. Uh, um, but we have a way for them to do that. And there's a whole process that we do with the executive team with each other. And they all go, and I'll give you an example. We were just working, with, uh, end of last year, working with a uh, medical technology company in Philadelphia. The uh, CEO slash founder and the chief medical officer have known each other for 18 years. The chief, uh, the, the founder has been working with me privately one-on-one because -on -one, I work with a lot of high-level individuals. Um, and he wanted to bring me into the company. 
and so we could work with the company and create a purpose-driven organization. The chief medical officer couldn't have been more no way. In fact, I will tell you his exact words, and this is unfiltered. What he said was, I don't have time for this woo-woo California shit, right? I'm a busy guy. I'm raising capital. I'm traveling all the world for the FDA uh, stuff that we need to get done. I don't have time for this shit. You do it. It's got nothing to do with me. The founder pushed it and made him do it. We originally, we were supposed to meet, and we're all going to meet in the morning and, and start the training, but the founder said, listen, why don't you come out for dinner? He invited my wife and I, she's my business partner too, to come for dinner. So we went for dinner, and who was at dinner with us was the chief medical officer as well. Right. Within one hour, less than that, less, like 40 minutes, he leans into the founder and he says, I've known you 18 years, and how it's weird, I know you better in the last hour that I've known you in 18 years. Because I catalyzed the conversation around vulnerability. And that same chief medical officer, I was at a conference, he, he actually invited me to, uh, I was at a conference that he had invited me to, and he was late, and he had some other things going on, and I was in the bathroom, and I came out, and I saw the back of him, I recognized him, so I thought, I'll creep up and sneak on him, and being me, being a goof, I was going to sneak up on him and grab his ass. I know it's not politically correct, but I've never been politically correct. And of course, this is a high-level medical officer, you know. So, you know, nobody does that stuff to him. And uh, but I was just about to do it, but I heard what he was saying. And he's talking to this small group of individuals. Uh, so I stood behind him while he speaks, and he says exactly what I said. I don't have time for this woo shit, this, this, you know, California nonsense. And he's saying all this, and he says, and it changed my life. It's changed the way I am with my with my children. It's even changed the way I am with my ex-wife. It's changed the way I am with every member of the team. It's changed the way the team are with us. And understanding it, I just raised another hundred million dollars. Hmm. I then grabbed his ass and he realized who it was. But you know, I mean, there's the transformation you get to see it for somebody who is, I mean, these are my favorite clients, the ones who are skeptical. Yeah. I like that because I don't want pessimism there's a difference between skepticism and pessimism skeptic all science is skepticism it's um i don't know if this is right let's see if i can prove myself wrong that's scientific good fantastic that's different than pessimism no matter what you show me it's going to be wrong yeah. and so i liked healthy healthy skepticism let's inquire let's discover this let's see how this works and it's so for me when i do the work i always say to my clients if in us doing this work, if this doesn't not only transform your business, but if it doesn't transform your life, your relationships, I've not done my job. Right. That's the key. Yeah. This it's, is about the human, not about the corporation. Yeah. So, cause so many people, you know, maybe I'll be authentic and be vulnerable in my personal life, but not business. Or maybe some people are, I'll do it at work, but I won't do it in every other relationship. Absolutely. But yeah. So you, so you, you're under the guise of a business coach, but you're coaching their entire lives and experiences. Really, yeah, I guide, I guide the, I give them the, the 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 strategies to be able to connect deeply with themselves and deeply with others, so that they can be better at business. And invariably, that business transforms as a result of that. You know, you have to remember, I have a massive background. I ran businesses in three continents, but that's not my original background. My original background is in metaphysical studies, in quantum physics, and in psychology. That's where my background is. So when I put those three things together in business, that's when we see the transformation.
Well, that's a beautiful transition because I wanted to ask, like, have have you just intrinsically had purpose and meaning in your life since you were, you know, a born, or is this uh, your own path of discovery? So, wh- where does this interest and expertise come from? Well, it's actually a little bit of what you just said. Um, as a kid, I was this really weird kid, and at seven, uh, we were out camping. Uh, my mom, my stepfather, maybe eight, almost eight. My mom, my stepfather, uh, my siblings, we were all in this big family tent. And I sat up bolt right, upright and started speaking in a foreign language and freaked my mother out completely, who was convinced I was possessed. Um, because the next day I started talking about how I could see people who, who be, uh, what, I'm trying to think how I phrased it, something about seeing people inside the people. And there, she's like, what do you mean there's more than one person? And it was, I couldn't explain it to a little kid. So she shipped me off to the rabbis, convinced that I was possessed, and I started to study, study metaphysical studies. I started studying Kabbalah. By the time I was 10, I started studying Prana Yoga, and I made a commitment to travel the world and study with different spiritual masters. So I studied Vedanta, which is Hindu philosophy, with Patasari Jay, who's the dean of the Pranayama University, Buddhism, lived and studied with monks, uh, Kabbalah, Gnostic Christianity, and the Tao. I studied all those religious philosophies, uh, because it was who I was. It was like I wanted to know the meaning of life. I was fascinated um, why people did the same dumb shit over and over again. It was fascinating to me to watch my uncle and my aunt, who were smart people, and even my mother, um, date people who were the same person with a new face. It was like, even I as a kid can work this out. Not saying I never did that. Of course I did exactly that because that's the human condition. But I was fascinated by that. So when I got sick of the spiritual, not as in the study of it, but watching people who were spiritually amazing, they could tell you which, which, which direction your, your chakra was spinning in, but couldn't pay the freaking rent and certainly couldn't hold a relationship down. I became, well, this is weird. So I started studying psychology I became a counselor and a therapist. I studied family dynamics. And from there, I started studying something like, I got sick of people whining. So I started studying called something called the psychology of excellence. Today, that's called the psychology of leadership. It was excellence in those days, because I'm old. Um, and so I studied that. And then in 84, came across quantum physics. And for the first time ever, the metaphysical and the psychological, I saw the connection in the, in, in the quantum realm of possibility is like, oh, and that's what I ended up writing a dissertation on, is the intersection of quantum physics, metaphysics, and psychology, how those three things are the same. And then I applied that to business in my own businesses and in the business of others, boom. And that's why it's so delicious for me. It's deep, it's powerful, and it's so fulfilling. I love it. I love it. I, I, I did not know this about you. I don't think you knew about me. I studied uh, Kabbalah last year for the first time, did a 10-month program, and I'm about to start right. Kabbalah again next month with, uh, with cool. the Modern Mystery School. And one of my teachers is, has a doctorate in quantum physics. And again, very cool. all together. Um, yeah. So, yeah, fantastic. I, 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 man, I, I, I love discovering the depth of you. I think that's the best way I can say that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And so, so as a child, and, and I had the same things as a child, and so mm-hmm. you've studied this longer and, and traveled the world, so what do you think the meaning of life is? I think the meaning, of, there's, there's two meanings of life. There is the subjective meaning of life, and that is whatever the hell you decide it is. 
That is whatever you decide it is. And then there is the meaning of life, which I can't tell you. It's 42. <laughs> you know what that means, right? I, yes, I do get it. <laughs> right. And for some people, that'll be an inside joke. And other people are like, what the hell is that? Is that a math answer? Uh, but, you know, I mean, so the, tr the, the truth of the matter is that the meaning of life is to live with meaning. That is what it actually means. Live with meaning. Live with purpose. You know, it, there, every religion will tell you a different story. Psychology will tell you a different story. Science will tell you a different story. But the bottom line is, if you live in awe, if you live in wonder, if you live in curiosity, and you mix that together in a delicious bowl of gratitude, then you will be inspired, not motivated, but inspired. It's another one of my new leadership skills that I just put a video on, the difference between motivation and inspiration. Motivation is like, yeah, let's rah-rah you and get you going. But inspiration is that moment when you not, you're not only living in the awe, but you go, all the limitations are bullshit. And you make a decision. And, you know, we've all had those aha moments. Maybe you, as you're listening to this, have gone, oh, my God, I just had an aha moment. You wrote something down. But let me just tell you, and this is not going to be nice. I'm, I'm promising you this up front. I don't give a shit about your aha moment. And, and here's the news. You don't either. You don't either. It's bragging rights. It's something you wrote down. And you go, oh, I listened to Dove, and I got this big aha moment. You go tell your mate, and then you go for lunch, and you forget about it. Because it doesn't matter. What matters is, is that, can we swear on the show? You sure do. <laughs> right. Because here's what matters. Your aha moments are irrelevant because they become nothing. They become, nobody does anything with them. They have them every five seconds. It's your fuck it moments that count. It's the moment when you say fuck it or fuck you, I'm going to do this. That's the moment of inspiration. Think about any movie you watched where you are deeply inspired and you watch somebody going up against the wall or just going through the grind every day and then suddenly they go, fuck it, no more. And there's this moment of intense decision followed by intense and immediate action. That's inspiration. And when you live in the awe, when you live in the deep curiosity of life, when you live in deep gratitude, that's what it's like, okay, I gotta get up. Yes, life knocked me down to the canvas, so what? That is what's going to happen. So shut up, whining and complaining, get up. Now, I'm not saying ignore it. I'm not saying go into denial about your pain. I'm very much in favor of you looking at that. Quantum physics says that when we observe, when we observe something, we and it are changed. Well, guess what? That's what therapy is. You go back and you observe it, and when you observe it, it changes and so do you. That's the cool thing. That's the quantum understanding of therapy. You've got to look at your shit. You can't bury it under the rug. And here's the deal. If you do, eventually the rug will fill the room. <laughs> so deal with your shit. Get it out of the way so that you can live in awe. Don't pretend that doesn't work. <sighs> awesome. I, uh, I, and it's, it's hard for me to fathom that that can happen in a boardroom somewhere, but I'm freaking glad that it can and is <laughs> and does and, yeah. and it's delicious it's delicious because very often as i said it's skeptical people are going that's not possible yeah yeah but it is and it, it, tell me if this is true for you but but 
everything I do today that makes me feel good and alive is something I made fun of and denied and thought was bullshit before I had an experience with it. So I get that, you know, it's to any company, any individual, I, I assume is going to perform better because of the experience you led them through as opposed to, well, I'll do it because that guy told me. Yeah. So I, I think that, as I said before, there is a natural resistance that, you know, it's inevitable. Um, and, you know, one of the exercises we do in the programs that we, we train with companies is called breaching the bias. And, and the thing is this, every one of us has, has bias, but we don't understand that. And the reason for that is because we don't call it bias. We don't go, this is my bias. We don't even say, this is my belief. Yeah. We say, this is the truth. Well, no, that's actually your bias. And until you are awakened to something, until you have an insight to the fact that it's a bias, you don't know it's a bias. You just think that's the way it is. The analogy I give oftentimes is if you were a, a, a white kid born in the southern United States in the 1940s and 1950s, it would be very normal, not racist, but normal for you to think that black people are less intelligent than white people. Not because you're a racist little shit, but because that's all you know. And then you suddenly say, oh, I'm going to go to New York City and you're in your late teens and you go to New York City and you get to meet other people who don't see it that way. And suddenly you realize, oh, my God, I grew up in a bias. Right. It doesn't make them, those other people wrong. It doesn't make you wrong. It makes you will. You've got to be willing to breach your own bias. And so that's the thing that if you really want to grow, one of the major questions you can ask yourself is, what is it I believe? Like most people never ask themselves that question. What do I actually believe? I, I'm actually challenging you right now as a listener to write down a list of everything you believe. And you know what's fascinating is oftentimes people will write four, five, six things. And you believe thousands upon thousands upon thousands of things. Some of it will be backed by nature, will be backed by science. A lot of it, most of it, won't you so can i actually tell you chris how tall am how tall? i yeah five ten five ten is that tall to some people <laughs> right right if you were born in around pygmies are you a tall man yeah you're a giant right right if you're born in holland are you a tall man no because they're the tallest people in the world right the average person is six one Right. And many of them are six, four, six, five, five, ten's not tall. I know I felt like a hobbit when I was there. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it, everything has a context for our own bias. Once we move out of our context, we can breach our bias. Mm -hmm. So the, the interesting thing to do is to get out of the context. So when you work with a coach like you, or whether you work with a uh, consultant strategist slash coach with someone like me, we're moving you outside of your context. So you go, oh, that's my bias. Wow. That's where things start to really shift. Yeah. And it's neat. I was just uh, recently watching something on Gaia all about uh, mysteries and, and quantum physics and the observer effect. So it's neat. I've never heard the observer effect brought into coaching or to therapy. So by, yeah. by, by someone else showing up to witness and have you, you know, look at your shit, look at your bias, look at your beliefs, that's what gives everything the space to change. That's exactly it. And that's why you can't do therapy on your own. Right. 
because you cannot not you can only see it through your lenses but by sharing it and moving into the third person to talk about it, oh, I don't see it that way anymore. Oh, I'm attached to the idea of what it was. I'm attached to this story. I'm attached to the identity I placed around this. Oh, okay. So now we don't have to deal with the issue. We have to deal with the attachment. Mm. Wow. Suddenly it changed again. Powerful. Yeah. And again, and you've mentioned courage many times, and this takes courage to be willing to question your beliefs, to be willing to be wrong about everything you were sure of. Like I said, the number one thing to the ego is to stay safe and to stay safe is to keep things the same and to keep things the same. You have to, con have to continue to believe in the same old crap you've always believed. <laughs> That's just how it works. Cool. You know, when, when we when we first spoke and, and talked about uh, having you come on Real Men Feel, there was a phrase you used that really caught my attention. It was heart-centered domination. Mm -hmm. And could you, exp could you define that a little bit more? Tell me about the core of what that means. Yeah. So I want to dominate my life from a place of being in my heart. Well, I, and, and that's the centerpiece. So there's three parts to this. There's heart, soul, and mind. And that is, in my, this, in my language, that's the Holy Trinity, is heart, soul, and mind, the alignment of the three. So I know I've, I've had phases of my life where I was, when I was a little kid, where I was soul-centered, meaning I was so spiritually aware that I was very ungrounded and life was, life felt overwhelming a lot of the time in that space. I had points in my life where I was very analytical and very thinking and, and everything was anal analyzed to death. Um, and, and that sucks the joy out of life. And I had times where I was so um, heart-centered where I was, you know, I, I wanted to save the freaking world. You know, I, w I wanted to be everybody's hero and rescue everybody. And that's just fucking exhausting, to be quite honest. Right? But when you align the three, and for me, that's starting in purpose. So when I, purpose is what aligns the three for me. So by knowing my purpose, I can say, is this thought, is this action, is this process I'm in aligned with my purpose? That checks my head, it checks my heart, it checks my soul. That's what, then, then I'm heart, soul, mind dominant in whatever it is I'm doing. I'm approaching you from the place of how can I serve in alignment with my purpose? Not just how can I serve, because how can I serve? You know, people don't understand servant leadership very often. They think it's about servitude. Servitude just makes you a slave. I'm not interested in being a slave to anybody, but I am interested in being of service that's aligned with my purpose. Is service, some level of service, uh, helping, assistance, however it might be defined, is that part of every individual and company's purpose? Does service have to be a part of it? it you know, that's a great, great question, and I'll tell you why. Because so few people actually understand that that's exactly what it is. Right. Andy, you know, when you think about it, whatever it is that drives you, the, if it drives you at an ego level, it's about you. Mm. If it drives you in a non-egoic way, it's about not about what drives you. It's about what, how you can have impact, how you can make a difference. So 
what we consistently have found in all the years of doing this, 34 years of doing this, long before it was a cool thing, uh, is that even the companies who never thought it was about service have found it's about service. But the trap is that we've gone into companies that are service-driven, service-leadership-based, uh, who don't get it because they've not connected with the purpose. They're trying to serve, but they're actually driving themselves into the ground. Because right. they keep saying, well, we're here to serve. Yeah, but you're not serving with a purpose. That purpose is your compass. You can't serve it. And they go, well, we know we can't serve everybody, but we're so service. Then you're going to go bankrupt and you will serve no one. This is one of the great spiritual awakenings is that if I'm going to serve, I have to be full. I can't serve when I'm empty. Right. So I have to be full emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, and financially so that I can serve greater in the world. I don't need a freaking jet, and I don't need all that big fancy stuff. But I gotta have enough that makes me comfortable and makes me show up fully energized so that I can serve that purpose and serve that person with my purpose. But if you want me to serve you, so let's say, you know, you're, well, you're a servant leader dog, yes. So I need you to go out and buy me some heroin. I'm not gonna do that. I have no judgment on you doing heroin, by the way. I actually don't, genuinely, I don't have any judgment on that. But I got to choose whether serving you is in alignment with me. And if serving you as you decide is for me to go out and buy your heroin, well, that's not in alignment with my purpose. Okay, that's it. I still wish you all the very best. I want you to be happy. I want you to be joyous in whatever form that means to you. Because to you, maybe that means being high as a kite on heroin. Okay, I just won't be part of that. That's all right. But I'm not going to condemn you for it. Yeah, it's me. I, I've... Uh... I, I, I do live workshops and marketing, help with psychics and mediums and heart-centered entrepreneurs. And so many of them, I want to save the world. And they're broke. And they're, they, they're afraid to charge $10 for their service. So, that it's, so they're just coming from the heart or just coming from the soul or just from the, well, they're not from the mind. But if you're just coming from one of those three, you're, kind of, you're out of alignment. You're not going to be of service. You're not living your purpose. You, know, you, know, you just said something that they're not coming from the mind. I disagree entirely. Okay. They're coming so much from the mind. Hmm. They've just put a new label on it. They put a spiritual label on their own mind hmm. because ego is mind. And they're still running a cycle they know doesn't work. I know because I was an egomaniac before I fell off the mountain. I know. And if you'd have asked me in my spiritual, you'd ask anybody who knew me was I spiritual. Absolutely. Totally, completely. There would have been nobody who knew me who would not have said that. I was incredibly spiritual, but I know I was incredibly egoic because it was actually about me feeling good about me. It was about me putting another label on it and calling it spiritual. And my saving people was a way for them to pat me on the back and tell me how fucking wonderful I was. That's not spiritual. That's ego. And one of the greatest curses on this planet today is something called that I call spiritual ego. And spiritual ego is competitive. What does it look like? Well, you just don't understand. You didn't read Eckhart Tolle's book. Well, you don't understand. You didn't do Andy Grant's workshop. Well, you don't understand. You didn't do five years of training with Dal Baron. Well, you don't know. You never met the Dalai Lama. 
fuck you and your spiritual egoic nonsense. It's bullshit. You're not more enlightened than me and I'm not more enlightened than you. I, you know, you talked about how I've done this in my life. Yeah, because it's been my focus. I'm crap at plumbing because I never did it. Right? But if I did it for five years, I could be okay at it, I guess. I don't want to do it for a lifestyle, but I'm not going to go out and try and teach people how to be a plumber. That would be stupid, but people do that nonsense, and it's spiritual ego. There's a lot of leverage in spiritual ego. I've met guys who go and chat up, ch chat up chicks, and they read a spiritual book, so they know that that's the leverage part, because they speak about spiritual things, they get laid. Well, that's spiritual ego. Now, other people say, well, I would never do that. No, your spiritual ego is that you get to feel good about yourself. You get to feel better. You get to feel better than the person you're talking to, because you can read their palm. Bullshit. You're not better than them. How do I know? I'll tell you. When I moved to Canada, my, 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 my practice was built on two groups of people. I don't talk about this much, so this is interesting. Two groups of people built my original business. The first were, believe it or not, strippers. Right? A mate of mine said, he knew a girl, she needs some help, would I help? She found it very helpful. She went away and told her friends, and I got a bunch of strippers which was not horrible, I can tell you, in, uh, at a visual level, but was terrible at a psychological level. <laughs> there was a lot of issues to deal with. The other group that I dealt with was psychics. How fascinating that my practice we built was strippers and psychics. And you know what they were? Identical. Hmm. Different jobs, but identical. All the same issues. One was using power of sexuality, and one was using power of power over. And I see those, I saw, not judging psychics here, because you may be different, but I saw many of those psychic people doing exactly the same as the CEOs. Well, this is the way it is. And if you don't listen to me because the cards told me, if you don't listen to me because I'm the CEO, eh, sound same, sound same. Right? So it's actually a lot of spiritual ego. So I find a lot of the time that spiritual nonsense is not heart, it's not soul, it's actually head. And I would challenge anybody watching, listening, who lives in that world to check yourself. Do you have the balls to really do the self-work and actually ask what this is really about? Because you might find some, some answers you don't like. I know I did when I fell off the mountain and I actually stopped. That was a big surprise to me to discover Oh my God, I've been running entirely on my ego. Mm. I had no idea. Okay. So I want to ask, like, how do you discern when, <sighs> when it's purpose and alignment driven service that you feel good from? Because service feels good. I, so how, how do you discern that from, oh, I feel good because I saved that person? Right. So it's, the distinction is this, is if I have an agenda in it, that's my ego. I can't save anybody. I can only assist those who want to be helped. That's it. The rest is not my responsibility. It is not my job. And every time I get attached to how it is, I'm in ego. That's it. So if you want to know if you're in purpose, you actually say, this is what, it, this is what I'm offering you. You can do with it whatever you want. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this magnificent coat, which you can use as a, as a bed for the dog. You can put on to go out dressed up and, and impress the world. You can cut it into pieces and make little dolls out of it. 
I have no attachment to that. But I know what I'm giving is spectacular. I know what I'm giving is an enormous value. But what you do with that, none of my damn business. Right. So imagine, I don't have to imagine. I'm sure that you enjoy when CEOs, when an organization, executive team takes your input, does the work, and thrives. But you're also, you, you know, again, it's, it's huh, enjoying receiving the fruits and not being attached to it. And if you go to another place and they pay your bill and they just like, yep, you see, they don't take it to heart. They don't change. They don't do the inner work. Nothing happens. You're like, oh, well. Yeah. So let, let me be clear. I have an ego. <laughs> I am human. We what do you mean? Ego. <laughs> so when, when I go into a company and we do that work and they don't step up and do it, it's saddening for me. I can see the possibility. I'm saddened. I wish they would do it. And when they do do it, do I feel good? Absolutely. But I, but I have to stop there with either side of it. It's not my responsibility. I'm not in charge of that. I, that's their bus. I've shown them how to drive it. I've shown them how to put a great engine in it. But I'm not driving it anymore. They're driving it now. And they can park it and let it go rusty. Oh, they can take it down the highway to wherever they want to go. And will I celebrate with them if they ask me to? Absolutely. Will I, will I come in and applaud them for not doing it? Absolutely not. Right. So I have to be in integrity with myself, with my purpose. That stops here, not there. It stops here. Hmm. When I fell and I realized I went into a very, very dark, dark depression. It was very suicidal for a long period of time. But... You know, I was a kid born in a ghetto, uh, and I was a leader. I'd been a martial artist. I'd studied all those things I told you about. So I sure as hell wasn't going to let anybody see that I was suffering. Mm. So when people were saying, how are you doing? I'd say, I'm great. I'm coming back. And it was full of piss and vinegar. I was angry. My jaw was wired closed. And I fell into a very, very dark place. And I actually felt like I couldn't laugh again. I actually felt so depressed, I thought I'll never laugh again. And I've been out with my mates lots of times with nothing to, you know, I just never enjoyed myself. And on one particular night we went out and I, I laughed and I felt so good. And I, was, I came home that night thinking, all right, this is a turning point. I can laugh again. This is wonderful. And I opened the door and as I opened the door, the light from outside crossed the kitchen and I saw garbage everywhere. There were empty cans, there was kitty litter, there was coffee grinds, there was paper. It was everywhere and it was stinky. And I was like, oh my God. And I went from filled with joy to filled with rage. I know exactly who the culprit was and I was going to get them. And I was like, I walked in, just boiling. And there, walked into the living room, there, curled up on the couch, all comfy, was the culprit. And like, I'm ashamed to say I lifted my hand to strike and about halfway down, stopped. Don't know what stopped me. Stopped and put my hand on top and touched the cat. And I picked the cat up into my arms. And the cat was stone cold. It was dead. And I fell to my knees and began to weep. And it didn't take me more than a couple of minutes to realize, oh, my God. I didn't even like this cat. Like, I didn't. It was given to me by a girlfriend as a manipulation. I hated the cat. So why was I weeping? And I realized I wasn't crying for the cat. I was crying for a life that was gone. It was never coming back. There was no back. That's a lie. Nothing in life works back. It only works forward. And in that moment, I realized I'm either, 
staying in this place of victim, which was incredibly seductive because I could just claim victim and, you know, I gave it my best. You know, I got smashed up, but it's not my fault. Or I could move forward, but I didn't know how. But I did know that it had to be purpose. And I got that in that moment. Now, remember, the day before I fell on, if you'd have asked me, are you on purpose? I would have said yes. But I knew it had to be on purpose. And I began to do the deep, deep work, looking into those dark, dark places. As Joseph Campbell said, uh, the treasure you're looking for can only be found in the cave you refuse to enter. Yeah. That was the cave I had to enter. And I began to do that work. And it was probably two or three years later that I was giving a multi-day training. And at the end, people are very gracious. They stand and they say, thank you. And, you know, and I, like most people, had a shield of plexiglass for which the compliments would bounce off. And I wanted to give my way, myself a way to let in what people were saying. So when somebody would say, I want to thank you, I would say, may I ask you for what? When they say for the workshop, I said, no, may I ask you specifically for what? And then, you know, they would think, and sometimes it'd be lame, and sometimes it wasn't. But as one lady stood in front of me after a long line of people, she was in her early 40s, attractive woman, she said, I want to thank you. And I said, may I ask you specifically for what? And she took a wonderful pause. And she said, I want to thank you for my grandchildren. And I looked at her and said, you don't look old enough to have grandchildren. She said, I'm not. She said, you see that lady over there? And I said, yes, she says, that's my daughter. She's pregnant. And I said, yeah, she says, because of what we've learned here from you about purpose, it has changed my relationship with my daughter and it will change my relationship with my grandchildren. So I want to thank you on behalf of my grandchildren. That's when I knew I was on purpose. The tears leaked out of my eyes. I knew I was on purpose because when you're on purpose, it's about impacting the lives of the people who will never know your name and who will never know your name. You won't know theirs. They won't know yours. That's when you're on purpose. Right. So that the ego can't even be rewarded because the impact is not in your perception. No ego in it whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Though that woman's grandkids, I don't know. I don't even remember her name. So yeah. I don't know her name. I don't know her grandkids' name. And I doubt that they know my name. But maybe how she is with them, maybe how their mom is with them. And now that, you know, those kids, that's a long time ago. Now those kids may be grown up and maybe even have children of their own. Right. It's entirely possible. Cool. Cool. And I, for anyone uh, that doesn't, doesn't already know your, your story, your background, I want to make it clear that you've mentioned the falling off the mountain. If that was not a metaphor. You, you no, truly no. plummeted. Yes. Okay. I fell uh, the equivalent of 12 stories while free climbing, 120 feet and landed on boulders and got smashed to pieces. Uh, died approximately five times in that journey. Mm. Uh, they said, you know, five is what I remember. It may be more, uh, but I was definitely dead. Mm. Hmm. And believe me, there was, there's not always, ah, and white light. Sometimes it's pretty dark. Yeah. Hmm. And again, you, and you said, so you thought you would have sworn you were on purpose before that. So oh, absolutely. So is there always a, a, a deeper level? Is there always yeah. more? Yeah. See, this light gets it. This is the thing. So one of the things that people send me, does your purpose change? Absolutely not. Your purpose does not change, but it deepens. It evolves. My purpose is exactly the same today as it was when I was 10 years old. But my understanding of it 
the deeper expression of it is there because I've deepened. Because I'm willing to look at places I couldn't look before. It's yes, it's the same purpose, but the depth of it and the impact of it is vastly different. Cool. Uh, the, hmm. I don't know how to say it. So to be totally self-serving, this conversation is is much more beneficial and helpful and synchronistic for, for me right now where I'm in my life. And uh, so I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for the paths crossing at just the right time. And and one find I, I find over and over that when I share my vulnerability, when something is neat, when I feel something's needed for me, that it's always needed for others as well. So absolutely, uh, yeah. So I have trust and faith that people are getting what they need from this. And, uh, and again, I'm really, I'm enthused that you're out there bringing this to companies. Cause again, I just come from this weird, I don't know if I, if my parents were too much of a hippies or what that like companies are bad and that's, what's ruining everything. And, and I'm glad you're bringing purpose and heart and soul into the boardroom. And, and it's, you know, you'll be surprised at how many companies are moving that way and how many high level leaders, cause you have to remember um the the people there's two groups right now well there's actually three but two main groups right now that are in leadership positions so you've got people who are uh, 39 years old who are the upper end of millennials people think of millennials as being kids they're not 39 years old is not a kid they're in leadership roles then you've got uh gen x's and and young baby boomers i'm a young baby boomer and, you know, we watched the, the older baby boomers say, you know, they were hippies and they said, uh, we're not going to work for the men. And they became the men. Gen Xers were about rebelling, but they didn't really have a brand. They didn't really have a, something to tie themselves to. Hippies did. Gen Xers really didn't. They tried it with punk because it was against something, but they didn't know what it was. It was an empty rebellion. They actually became the rebels without a cause. Now millennials want meaning. So for me, when, when I'm interviewed about this, people will say, well, why will millennials listen to you? Because I am a millennial. And they go, what do you mean? You're not. And I go, no, I'm a silverhead millennial. See, because millennial is a mindset. It's being meaning driven. It's looking for the meaning in everything. I'm always exploring a deeper meaning, a deeper understanding. I watch movies and my friends say, God, why don't I see movies the way you do? Because that's who I am. I'm looking for a meaning. I, I'm looking at why was the writer writing it that, like that? I watch movies and I, I see the purpose, I see the meaning, and I see the leadership where people are like, wow, I never even thought about that. Yeah, okay. But if you were watching a movie about electrical stuff and you were an electrician, you'd get stuff that I would go like, eh, I don't get, don't know, right? So we've all got our thing and, and it's, it's powerful because as I said, there's this, such a bigger drive to this because I, as you said, I go into companies, I do this work and it's powerful, but I also work with CEOs, entrepreneurs, coaches, uh, podcasters, TV hosts, athletes, actors. I'm working with a lot of people who are, who are already successful. They're the people who are looking at you and going, I want to be you when I grow up. And those people are saying, you know what? I'm smart enough to know I need somebody who's, who's ne the next level of my game and they, they, they work with me. So there's always an evolution to all of us. And this is part of the egoic challenge is uh, when I talked about spiritual ego is you don't understand I'm already there. No, you're not. There is no that. 
if you're not looking for the next level, the next deepening of your own purpose, then you're already dead in the water. You're already running on your ego, even if your ego is is clothed in a long long rope. Cool, cool, cool. Huh. So, so what's the best way for people to to find you, to connect with you, to to learn how to work with you? Thank you for asking. Well, you can certainly find me everywhere on social media. My name is Dov D O V Baron B A R O N. But you can find out more about me on our website, which is fullmontyleadership.com. And actually, if you go fullmontyleadership.com forward slash gift, G-I-F-T, if you go there, guess what? I got some gifts for you. I'll actually give you a couple of my eBooks. Um, you'll have access there to my own podcast. Um, and by the way, if you're not a leadership person, don't let that put you off. There's all kinds of great stuff in there. Um, but if you go to the podcast, that's there. My blog is there. There's over 500 articles. I'm on YouTube. There's over 500 videos on there. You can find me just about everywhere. Right for Entrepreneur Magazine, all those things. But if you want to reach me personally, just dove at dovebaron.com. Reach out to me. Now, now, I want you to reach out to me and let me tell you why. For a couple of reasons. Number one, who gives a shit about this show? Nobody. The bottom line is, it's just noise in the background if you let it be that. I hope that you don't. Information is worth the whole in a donut. Transformation comes from application. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to write to me, dovatdovebaron.com, and I want you to write to Andy because he takes the time to bring you great guests and discuss these things. This guy gives up his time, his energy, his effort, and guess what? It isn't to make him feel good. Yes, he gets stuff out of it, but he's putting in a lot of research, a lot of time and energy to make this happen for you. Write to him. Write to me, tell us what you've got out of this show and what you're going to do with it because that's what matters. What are you going to do with it? Tell us both. Tell me how I can help you. Sure. If you've got someone you want a question you want to ask me about, ask me. I'm here to serve. I'm on the planet for that. Do that. But also, this is important. Go to iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe to the show because the more you do it and share it with others because the more you do it, the more this show reaches other people's lives. Andy is doing you a service here. Please reward that, recognize that. You're not putting money in his pocket, but you do need to let him know that it has impact. It's vital. Thank you. Mm, thank you. Um, I could not have said any of that better. Uh, so again, reach out um, wherever you're listening to the show, reviews, likes, shares, uh, visit realmenfield.org. Uh, I'll have all sorts of various links to, to learn more about Dalev, to connect with him, to, to be in touch with him. and. Uh, Again, man, thank you for what you do. Thank you for that fall. Thank you for not going all the way into that death experience. And uh, keep doing what you're doing. It's, 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 again, I have so much deeper appreciation for you after this conversation and the work you're doing. Thank you, sir. I'm honored. It was a pleasure. I'm, I'm delighted to observe you and the audience. Great. And until next time, everyone, be good to yourself. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Reach out to us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. Until next time, visit realmenfeel.org or the Real Men Feel Facebook group and share what you thought of this episode. Please give this podcast a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel.